I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. I am your host, Andy Johnson. Uh, today, I am joined by Shane Bacon and Joseph LaMagna. Uh, we are here to t- break down kind of the latest news in golf. So it was a crazy, crazy week last week. And um, obviously, there was a ton of reaction during uh, everything going on. So the big news of the week, I don't know what was bigger news, honestly. John Rahm. You know, went uh, took a a contract offer and joined the Live uh, Tour, and the USGA and RNA announced a golf ball rollback plan. So, um, with that, I wanted a, a little bit of time to kind of marinate on on those two uh, news topics, and then you know break down everything with Shane and Joseph. So, in the time that we uh, had recorded this. We recorded this on Sunday morning. The PGA Tour Policy Board made a big move and they selected an outside investment group uh, to further negotiate uh, with their you know, kind of new structure, their potential new company, um, as well as with PIF. So they um, advanced discussions with SSG, it's Strategic Sports Group, um, in that Group is the Fenway Sports Group, as well as other individuals such as Arthur Blank, um, Cohen Private Ventures. There are a number, um, you know, Mark Lazary, John Henry, a number of of big time investors in that group. So that group will be looking uh, along with the PIF to negotiate a kind of a new company, that framework agreement that was announced in um, in June. So that was big news for the PGA Tour. So it, it seems like the John Rahm signing really kind of motivated the PGA Tour to get on the horn and get this thing done from from all intents and purposes. It seems like that that Rahm move that Liv made, uh, that the PIF made, was potentially a leverage play to get this deal moving again, um, as it seemed like things had really grinded to a halt. So um, that is uh is big news uh before we get to the conversation i'd like to take a quick minute to talk about our sponsor of the show fat cork uh they provide awesome an awesome champagne service so you know i think a lot of people that listen to this pod like unique golf courses and what we like about them is that they stand out from the rest and i think with fat cork one of the things that really drew me to them uh, when we started to talk about potential partnership was their relationship with the champagne growers. So, you know, all champagne is grown in Champagne, France, right? You know, they're all it's grown in the small little region and everybody that sells champagne buys from these growers. The growers keep uh, about 20 percent of their crop, their most unique aspects of their crop they keep for their own stock. These bottles that you're getting from Fat Cork is that stock. So they have really unique flavors and and different um, 
you know, intricacies. They they are like you're, you know, getting wine straight from the vineyard where you get that, like, you know, those a little bit different notes. It's not mass produced. This wine or this champagne has a lot of unique flavors and different, like every bottle's different. That's the thing over the last year, having consumed a decent amount of this is that all these champagnes are wildly different, and I've become much more of a fan of champagne than before. My wife's always been a big champagne fan. So this is we're right in the holiday season, and we're running out of time. This is the perfect time to uh, to get some champagne for whether it be holiday partying, gifting, um, or your significant other is into champagne. They have a, a champagne club that is awesome. You can choose your amount of champagne you get, but they ship it out quarterly, and I would highly recommend checking that out. Uh, so go to fatcork.com, and if you use the promo code GOLF, they will give you free shipping, and that is not an inconsequential amount of money. It, you know, Shipping for this is usually between $20 and $80. So that promo code GOLF, if you're whether you're buying single bottle, couple bottles, or you join the champagne club, is going to save you a little bit of cash. So thanks to Fat Cork. Visit fatcork.com and uh, join that club. Now to Shane and Joseph. All right. It's been just a, uh, I would say last week is uh, a week. It's going to go down in the history of golf as, as one of the most, I don't know, newsworthy weeks of all time. So we have uh, the USGA announcing their golf ball rollback. And then uh, to, two days later, John Rahm, uh, one day later, one day later, John Rahm announces that he will be taking his talents to live. As this weekend has rolled on, we've had some more news rolling or some rumors, um, some su- substantiated rumors. James Corrigan, has, who's been pretty spot on with his reports, uh, says that Finau is in negotiations with with Liv Tony Finau as well as Tyrrell Hatton. So um, here to break down kind of this uh, crazy week. In golf, I uh, I had Joseph Lamagna and uh, Shane Bacon join me. So, guys, how are you feeling now that we're a few days removed from all this golf news? It's it's been chaotic. I think this was an all time week for for golf Twitter, and maybe there's been some entertainment, but yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot in disarray. Doesn't feel organized. Feels like there's a complete leadership vacuum. And I'm excited to see what you guys thought. I, I have some thoughts. Interested to hear what you say. It was. Bringing out all the takes this week. Andy, if you're going to quote LeBron in the decision, I would at least like someone to no- donate some money to the Boys and Girls Club of like Akron or whatever LeBron did, uh, <laughs> at least wear the awkward button-up shirt. But yeah, it's just we keep talking about non-golf, Andy, and um, it's dominated the headlines. I was actually, I wanted to ask this question to both you guys um, just off the top to get your feeling. What is the last normal golf tournament you feel like you've experienced. When I say normal, I mean no drama, no is this player going to play here or move on? Was it is this like 2019 is this pre-pandemic? 2020 like riv? Is that basically the last time that golf was like felt relatively normal? I would I would say that this year in the middle of major season it felt really normal. Okay. Like US Open because there weren't there weren't um you know, like Liv didn't sign anybody of real note this last offseason, right? It seemed that the momentum had really shifted to the PGA Tour. And and the Liv guys were there, but at that point, we were f- five majors, four majors in to seeing them there. 
So it, that like shock and awe had kind of left. Um, that's, you know, my two cents. But then, we, I mean, that being said, like we now I think back, like we still had the drama of John Rahm, you know, playing with live guys in practice rounds and people being like, what's that mean? You know, I I walked with John Rahm for nine holes and he was playing with Sergio Garcia. You know, it's, it's funny now that you think back to LACC that um, what would you say, Joseph? I guess similar. I don't know that. I agree with you. The U.S. Open, the PGA felt like normal golf tournaments to me. The Masters, since it was Brooks and John Rahm, didn't feel there was a little bit of chaos there. But I agree with you, Shane. Like we're, we're talking a lot about stuff that isn't golf, and it's been a while since there's been a golf tournament that just stood on its own that, that didn't feel like. I mean, I don't know, maybe the Solheim Cup, right? Like something on the women's side, but men's side, it's it's hard to think of a of one that at least live wasn't in the background. Let's um let's chat uh a little bit about kind of the Rob news first. Um and we can kind of obviously with with the Finau and Hatton uh rumors out there, I think it just kind of like adds to the discourse uh about the the situation. I'll let you guys pick. You know, I've kind of thought we could come at this in three different ways between the tour live and Rom. Uh where do you guys want to start? And Shane, why don't you start us with with one of those, what what does this mean for one of those three? Yeah, I mean, I think for Rom, um, you know, I thought you pointed out a lot of this stuff in your newsletter piece, Andy. If people didn't read it, it's on the website as well, so you can check that out on the fried egg. But I mean, you you pointed out a lot of this stuff. I mean, I think DJ Pialski brought this up on the No Laying Up Reaction Pod as well. It seems like because Rom made this decision, which is obviously the biggest decision yet in the in the history of Live versus the PGA Tour, whatever you want to call the the battle. I don't know. Are they in agreements? Are they partners? Are they considering partnership? Who knows? But I think what this does is all this does is put more pressure on the PGA Tour to figure out a way to make these worlds coexist. Because as you said, Andy, golf isn't a big enough sport to have two entities where you have to follow both. I mean, I was at dinner last night with some friends of mine that are casual golf fans. And if they had to pick between the two to watch, they're picking neither is what they basically told me at dinner. If it's watch live, watch PGA tour, or just watch something else. They both were saying they're just going to watch something else. So I think what this has done is just, it's going to push whatever negotiations need to happen. It's going to push this, you know, further along than it would have been two weeks ago. And it feels like, as you pointed out in the piece, Andy, I mean, Rom has five years now to play major championships. It sure feels like something's going to be figured out before the five years is up. And I feel like midway through 2024 is kind of the date I have circled for whatever the agreement is going to be, because you just can't have these entities playing in separate golf events and expect people that don't really watch golf to begin with to pay a lot of attention to two things. I agree with you. I, I, the ROM, I'm sure people disagree with this, but I don't think people are much more like, I don't think the ROM signing is going to have a meaningful impact on viewership of live, but I do think it will have a meaningful, it will detract from, PGA Tour viewership, maybe not that significantly, right? Like how many, what are the ratings like at Amex? 300, 400, 500 million worth. (laughs) Probably not, but obviously the talent can only flow in one direction, right? There's nobody going from live back to the PGA Tour. They're only going from the PGA Tour to live. And as soon as they made that agreement in June, the PGA Tour has no leg to stand on. It's really hard to to take issue with John Rahm signing with Liv. 
if more guys get like the PGA tour is in a really bad spot here. So I agree with the sentiment of we need to, there needs to be some kind of deal. Splitting the viewership is bad. It's, it's not a zero sum here. It just feels like a negative sum when Rom leaves, but I haven't heard anybody propose terms of a deal that really makes sense. And that's something that people keep saying there should be a deal. There should be a deal, but I haven't heard anything that would make sense from the PJ Tour and Liv's perspective. So that's something that I wanted to flesh out a little bit on this uh, podcast. Well, you, as you, well. haven't, you haven't talked to Cantley yet. You got to text Cantley and ask him what he thinks should happen, and then then we can figure out what the next steps are. What do you think should happen? What do you think are terms that actually make sense for the PJ Tour to agree to with Liv that Liv would be happy with? I, th- I well, mean, I mean, I think I they it. had a deal. They they just uh, you know. I think that Michael Rosenberg uh, for SI had a piece that I think had pretty good reporting in it um, around what the deal might have looked like um, before this Rom news. It was a three billion dollar offer from from the uh, from the Saudi public investment fund, and it included a billion dollars to be split amongst the PGA Tour players. That stayed. It was like a a, a pool of of cash uh, for the for the players that were loyal, and uh, from the sense of it from the reporting, it sounded like there was a argument division about how that money should be split with Patrick Cantlay, who's been, you know, reportedly extremely pro elite player, um, kind of saying that, you know, in really taking control of the of the player advisory council and policy board, you know, and saying that the top players deserve more and more money. So it sounds like, you know, from from that reporting, the Saudi offer was in the three billion neighborhood for the, for a small stake in the PGA Tour and uh, with a billion to be spread across the PGA Tour. But this has, you know, been the problem with the PGA Tour from the start of this is that it's impossible to get a, a membership on board, um, you know, with a with the wide range of players, you know, the. The bottom end players think they deserve more money. The top end players think they deserve more money. And what happens is it just gets everything's clogged up and and nothing, no decisions can be made. And the problem with that is none of the labor, you know, none of the players are contracted. So it just, you know, they're stuck in the mud, unable to make a decision. And uh, Liv goes out and signs, you know, one of your three or four most marketable players and they're signing more while you can't decide on how to break up and distribute a billion dollars. You know, this is, this is just a quintessential situation of, of the PGA tours structural failure. um, That's led to the, the live tour even being able to come into existence, right? You know, they had this monopoly with, with no contracts. So, you know, the players were completely, available to be bought and paid and then you had this antiquated system you know that was uh, you know kind of member like the league wasn't set up for what's valued in sports today so i think that this is just you know what we're building towards here it's just the the higher the pressure and the leverage of this like the the deadline for this deal are coming up you know as they're talking to more private equity companies What's really bubbling to the surface is the PGA Tour's flaws in a structure and and with its membership. Really, the they can't they can't make any decision because they can't agree to any decision. 
Joseph, I wanted to I wanted to touch on something you mentioned when you were talking a little bit about Rom and and the PJ Tour and kind of the flow because I thought it was a great point. Um, you know, we all love sports. We all follow sports that aren't just golf. And you know, sports are sports are run by superstars and superstar matchups, right? I mean, I know we're recording this on Sunday. The Bills and the Chiefs play. You know, every pregame show in the world's talking about the last time they played in the playoffs, right? I mean, that was a great matchup, and that's the matchup that we thought would kind of carry the AFC you know, through the next five to 10 years. And when I think about golf, like if I was going to list out what matchups do I want to see on Sunday, right? I'm a casual sports fan. I'm a casual golf fan. Who do I want to see play? I mean, we always talk about this in the majors. Wouldn't it be great if we got Rory versus Spieth? But when you start to kind of list out who do you need involved on Sunday to bring people that aren't already going to commit time to watching golf to play, right? Rom's probably going to be involved in six of the 10 matchups in previous years when you were thinking about the best possible scenarios, right? Scotty Scheffler versus Rom, Rory versus Rom, all that's great. For the PGA Tour right now, you lose John Rom, which again is maybe six of 10 of your best case situations for Sunday of a golf tournament that's not a major championship. You also now have got to lean on some players that previously were in that list that have fallen off. And I mean, I know Andy loves bagging a bit on Jordan Spieth, but when you kind of look at 2024 and the PGA Tour, now the onus falls on guys like Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas to start playing good golf again, because if they're not playing good golf and you start to list out who do we need to play well in these events to bring new eyeballs or to bring eyeballs that are otherwise going to watch college basketball or going to you know do something on the weekend that aren't going to watch golf, now it's Rory, Jordan, Justin, Max, and that group, and you obviously lose Rom, and so for Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas, like the PGA Tour needs those guys to have a great year. I mean, that's a big ask for these players that haven't won a lot over the last four or five years, and it's so important to their product. I mean, you're basically leaning your entire business plan on the shoulders of these like 28 and 29-year-old guys that have combined to win twice in the last three years, right? Yeah, I would say one other thing on top of that, I and I completely agree, for the PGA Tour, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas are becoming more and more important with every defection, right? Um, those guys need to play elite superstar level golf that they have shown they've been able to play at some point in their careers. The other aspect of this is Liv's format. They have 48 players. What you just talked about, what you want to see as a golf fan are these superstar showdowns. You want to see, I mean, like, the lead up into that final day of the Masters with Rahm and Kepka was unbelievable because it was like, wow, we're going to see two of the biggest names duking it out on Sunday. One of the things when you have a league that has 48 players and three rounds of golf, it is way more co conducive to getting your top players duking it out with each other because there just aren't as many of them, right? So the other aspect of this is that Liv's format you know, lives 48 players in, in the more and more of these top names they get, say they get Finau and Hatton. It just, you know, I don't think those are going to make a meaningful impact on whether somebody turns on, uh, you know, on a week to week basis, but they can make it a meaningful impact when you're looking at the leaderboard on a Sunday and it's like, wow, look at that. It's, it's Rom, you know, Kepka, Bryson, and Finau are, are four of the top six guys in the event, like I might turn that on. Like that's where it starts to make a difference is like 
I feel like that happens a lot with with golf, right? It, especially the regular week to week PGA Tour events. It is like I open the PGA Tour app and it's like, oh, look at this. There's like three guys in within a few shots. It's you know, if you think about go back to the Heritage last year, it's Jordan Spieth and Matt Fitzpatrick are kind of duking it out down the stretch. I'm like, gonna watch. I'm that. gonna turn it on. Right, that is the way you check the score of a ba- of a basketball game. It's like, oh, you know what? Look at that. That it's tight in the third quarter. I better turn that on. Or a football game. That's the way it works. And live is is a little bit more set up to have those showdowns. Would you agree with that, uh, Joseph? I agree with that. I agree with everything you said, but both of you. The one thing though that I feel like is kind of missing from the conversation, at least a little bit is the randomness of golf in general. And I am not about to discredit John Rahm. He's been maybe the best player in the world for the last five years. Like, there's nobody in the world better than John Rahm. You can make your arguments for Scheffler, Victor Hovland, but like John Rahm is right there. Totally agree. But if three years from now, John Rahm's not one of the best names in the sport, it's not going to shock anyone, right? That's the entire history of golf. I think he'll be good in three years, right? He'll still be 32, but... I think what the PGA Tour has on its side and everything's been kind of doomsday for the PGA Tour this these last couple of weeks, like I think they need to re- take control of the narrative a little bit, advertise the wealth of talent that they have and the depth and that there's going to be two years from now, there's stars that we don't even know about yet that are going to pop up and, and they need to market them. So tying up a couple hundred million dollars in John Rahm, like obviously that's a huge, huge get, not discrediting him. But you've seen it in other sports, too, where you pay somebody, Shohei Otani, $700 million. Like five years from now, we might not be talking about Otani. So I, I do think I don't think that should be lost from the narrative that John Rahm isn't like instant fireworks three years from now that, that just evaporated from the PGA Tour. You have to the hopeful side for the PGA Tour is is building that depth of talent and trying to build some of those new stars. Ludwig Obert, if they poach him, like that's a really big deal. You got to protect guys like that. How do you how do you protect those guys, though? That's I think that's the question now is like, how do you protect them? I think like the one thing they have, they still have, which I don't know how much longer they can hold on to is the major championships. That's the only thing that is protecting a mass like a youth talent exodus is like if you want to play majors, the only way you're going to get into these fields from being, you know, a young guy with no status anywhere. The only way you're going to get your way into major championships, the only pathway is through the PGA Tour and DP World Tour. Right? Andy, Andy, it's it's interesting you say that too because if you're the PGA Tour right now, to your point on that, you're almost rooting against guys like Ludwig to win a major because the moment they win that major championship and all of a sudden they get five years across the board to play all these majors, you're almost rooting against something like that to happen because when they get that level of you know safety net where I all right well I got five years of majors to play who the heck knows what the landscape's going to look like in 2028 2029 2020 2030 it's like you almost don't want Ludwig to win a major if you're the PGA Tour because again then you can lean on what you're talking about you can lean on something like well if you want to play in these things you got to finish in the top whatever of the money list or the FedEx Cup or world ranking points and this is the only place you can get those Ludwig wins the Masters all of that changes right Well while we're there yeah. can I can I suggest something can I run some uh, uh, maybe a stupid idea by you for how this could all fall into place Sure I love stupid ideas 
tell me if it, I want, I want to hear if it's stupid though. So I, I have fully believed for a while that the official world golf rankings are anti-competitive. Like I, I do genuinely believe that, that just like you're saying, Shane, that is what's keeping people from going to other tours. Like the PJ tour is kind of the way you get into the majors because you need it, to play It might the be the tour's field. best partnership right now, Joseph, is the OWGR, oh, right? It's absolutely. like literally like the best thing they have going for them. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, so I actually do think that what's been holding golf back in a lot of ways is straight up anti-competition. What if, I think we should get rid of the official world golf rankings. Like I, I do genuinely believe that. What if spots in majors, as others have suggested, are allocated based on orders of merit and Liv gets a certain number of spots into the majors. Let's say the masters sets aside 50 spots. Let's say 30 of them are PGA tour, 20 of them are Liv. And how you do in that major determines for the next major if you're going to get more spots allocated to your tour or fewer spots allocated to your tour. And what that would also do is put pressure on each tour individually to create a strong order of merit so that they are submitting their best players into that major. So if the 54-hole shotgun start format isn't bringing the talent to the top, there's actually a pressure on Liv to reform their format so that they're getting players that are better to the top of the order of merit and that's the way this plays out. I, I understand that that's keeping the tour separate, but it would also enable you to allow players to jump back and forth between tours at the end of the year, let's say between September and December, sign with whichever tour you want, but here's the number of spots that are going to be up for grabs at each major. Like, I, I actually do think that would be better for the golf world overall if you went that direction. Well, and it gives Liv something to play for, Andy. I mean, you know, like that's, again, kind of going back to Liv's biggest issue is its product. I mean, I, you wrote a lot about this in your piece. I keep I keep almost wanting to push Liv now because you're, you're bringing in more big names and bigger players. Like, are you going to have live telecast on American networks all the time now in 2024 and beyond? So if we want to watch John Rahm play golf, we can't actually watch John Rahm play golf, but well, you, you just know, have to, Joseph, to download the CW app. Sure. Well, I, I know, I know, but to Joseph's <laughs> point now, let's say the last cutoff event is Singapore or wherever the case may be. And you've got to shuffle your way into the top 20 to get the masters. Now, all of a sudden you're playing for something on live. That's not just money. And as a golf fan, if Cameron Smith's floating around the number and I want to make sure he gets in the masters, I might actually tune in and watch because all of a sudden there's something that I care about outside of just that week's event that they're playing for. I think it's a good idea, Joseph. I think I think the other thing here that we're we're kind of discussing is like and and I think one of the things that it means for live with with Rom, the Rom signing, potentially Finau and Hatton going, uh the money being spent. I don't think if the merger happens with the two of them, you know, with them I don't think Liv's going anywhere. Right. I don't think that they're going to spend all this money and then they're going to be like, OK, well, like the the league's coming, wrapping in. I think like that's been one of the big negotiating points is what happens with live. Does it become like a fall series thing? Does it become, you know, how does it work? I don't I think there's a, a, a possibility that live just. Continues to operate as live if the merger happens, because like the idea of the merger is taking the DP World Tour the PGA tour and live putting them together and forming this new company. And that's the valuation is all based off of all of those properties, right? What, what the, what lives doing right now is like, I imagine is like, you know, they're at the negotiation table. When you sign Rom, the PGA tours value goes down and lives value goes up. Right. right. 
if you're negotiating like what they're doing now right now is devaluing the PGA tour and increasing their own value. I don't know if the value is worth what they're paying Rom um, or what they're going to pay fee now. Like if that, if it's a one-to-one thing, but they certainly, and I think like that's something that I'm starting to feel like is like lives not going to be a just, just shuttered down if the merger happens and it's all the PGA tour. Right. I think that's the, you know, and, and for, from what you guys are saying, that's got to be the direction of the OWGR or the the way the major qualification um, occurs is that, you know, you heard it in Rahm's uh, when he was on Fox News. He talked about how he was hoping that he would be playing on the PGA Tour and the European Tour, right? Like, he seems to think that this merger is going to happen. And he's going to be able to play in those things. Rory's talking about rewriting the Europe, uh, the European Tour uh, requirements for Ryder Cup because of because of Rob. So. It is um man's tweeting a lot right now, Andy. A lot of Rory tweets right now. Don't just give that password back. Let's 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 change the password again. A lot no. of Rory tweeting. Come oh, on. you want it? You want more Rory? Well, I y- truly yes, and I think more players should be <laughs> tweeting from their own account. Unleash it. Honest, a sincere point. The lack of communication from anybody on the PGA Tour side right now is astounding, and that there's no voice. Notably, Jay Monahan, right? I know he doesn't have a Twitter account, but players Can't, have Cantley's mentioned. not talking, yeah. No one's talking. Players have mentioned that they've been getting their news from Twitter before they hear anything from internal communications or anything. Scary Go thing. where the people are. Like There actually does need to be somebody championing the PGA Tour cause and advocating, hey, sponsors, stay in your seats. Like Here's what we're about to do. It's going to be really cool. I know some people are leaving, but here's what we're going to do. There's no one doing that. So... I, if somebody wants to step up and start letting it rip, they should. I don't think it's going to be Rory. I think Rory's more disengaged from from the leadership of the PGA Tour than he's been in yeah. five years. I think that you know the direction that they've gone, um, you know, is is completely opposite the way that he he wanted this to work out. I think he was, you know, he was one that kind of wanted everybody to bury the hatchet and saw that the division wasn't good for golf and you know and it's gone in a little bit different direction i think what's what's fascinating to me is that he's gone from this person that was you know was effectively holding the pga tour tour together um being the spokesperson and if i look at this you know just like you look at this without any you know if you could take it just take the the social issues all of that out and i don't think he would ever do this but like he's now in a position where he could absolutely end the pga tour is if rory mcelroy decided hey i'm going to live which i doubt he's going to all of his comments on the record have always been i yeah i will i will just play the majors if it comes down to live i believe he said at one point um you know but if Rory took an offer, or if he got an offer from Liv, he could do two things with it. He could go to Liv and end the PGA Tour if he's that done with it. Or B, he could go back to the PGA Tour and say, I'm going unless you don't go do this. And I think that like it, it, the tour can't get out of its own way. They are not, there's not going to be a clear decision made from these guys. They can't, they're just not set up to make a decision. 
it is there's no way that they're going to get an agreement across the board because there's just too many competing interests, too many people that are only thinking about themselves and not the overall, you know, uh, power. Like at this point, it almost seems like the only way that the that this resolves itself in a in a quick, clean way without continuing to just destroy the fan base, destroy the popularity of the sport is if someone like Rory or a Rom or a Spieth, you know, like if Rom hadn't just gone, if he had gone back and kind of is to go back to the tour and say, we need to do this this way or else I'm out and you're done, you know? And it feels like that's it, it, where we've got Does Spieth, Andy, does Spieth have that power? Because I feel like it's only Rory or I guess Tiger. But Tiger. I mean, yeah, but it feels like that's just Rory. It doesn't really feel like even if Jordan did it, even if Scotty did it, I, I'm not sure they carry the same cumulonimbus clouds that Rory does. You know, it's like, I mean, he's the thunder, he's the thunderstorm that could completely throw this off its kilter, I feel like, just like to your point of what you're saying. I think like Spieth is probably the next closest to Rory. Okay. Um, just in terms of like ratings and g- general fan interest, right? Those are the yeah. like I, I don't because this is the thing. I think that Rom brings a lot to Liv. But I, I think people like Liv might think that people are going to turn on the TV for Rom. I don't think it is. I don't think that. I think the biggest thing that Rom actually brings to the league is that there's a level of com- com- competitiveness and seriousness that yep. they are sorely lacking. Like they need someone who's not there. Like I, it's almost like when you talk about like the NBA teams and the culture of losing that happens when they're like trying to tank, you know, is like all these guys that signed up initially, they're like, this isn't a real golf league. Like I just got paid. Like that's their mentality. Like they need, they need an adult that's like, Hey, I'm here to win. You know, like the joke about the four aces being this dominant franchise. It's like, (laughs) you know, like we need, they need, it, for their for the for the product of the league, the league needs some seriousness, and I think that's actually like John Rahm's like greatest trait for the league is that I don't think he's going to like slack off. Like we've seen Cameron Smith like has looked flat out bad. Like it's like time off and 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 lack of competitive tour is not good for Cameron Smith. Right, doesn't have anywhere anywhere to play in Florida. I mean, what's he supposed to do? You know, like he's he's gonna go play golf. Can't play golf anywhere. Clearly, not putting the time into his body. He was putting (laughs) into it. You know, it's like so. So, anyways, like Rom to me is a is a player that whether he got paid four hundred million dollars or nothing is going to bring some sort of level of professionalism to a league that desperately needs it. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like Bill Belichick going. Yeah, go ahead, Joseph. Well, I was just going to say, this guy doesn't have the fan base that Spieth has, doesn't have the commercial appeal. I think Victor Hovland kind of has that domino effect, though, of if he were to sign with Liv, what that would signal about a really young player at his prime who's arguably the best player in the world right now. Like, that would, international player, that would be a really big one. I know he doesn't have the... He doesn't even have the commercial appeal of like a Ricky Fowler, probably. But what that would indicate about the seriousness of the league, I totally agree with you, Andy, that Rom brings that competitive fire. And if they bring some guys over who say things like, 
not I want to play less golf or I want to spend time with my dog, but actually I'm here to win and this league feels as competitive as anywhere else in the world, that would be a problem for, for the PGA Tour. Joseph, I know you're always kind of looking at this stuff um, from a slightly different perspective, and I feel like you're always kind of trying to push it forward. Since it doesn't feel like right now on January 10th or February 15th, we're going to have a merger tour. Is there an option here to have live be live, the PGA Tour be the PGA Tour, and then two or three times a year, they play a Ryder Cup style event against each other for massive amounts of money that gets people into whatever they may want to get into? I mean, I feel like all of these types of team events were in their infancy started because there was an opportunity and a rivalry out there, right? Maybe it was country, maybe it was region, whatever the case may be. I mean, outside of the Tavistock Cup, but you know, I knew those clubs obviously got really fired up at each other as well. But I mean, most of these team events start because somebody wants to beat somebody else or there's issues, you know, in the sport. And to me, right now, if you wanted to bring people's eyeballs and interest to a golf event, putting live versus the PGA tour, at least in theory makes sense, right? Can the PGA tour superstars beat the live superstars? I mean, I can write the commercial right now. And while the blood doesn't seem nearly as bad as it was two years ago, you've still got Bryson. Who's obviously a lightning rod. You still got Brooks who can do Brooks things. And then on the PGA tour side, you've at least got Rory, you got Reed, you know, but you've got Rory there. Who's been so anti-live this whole time. I mean, you throw Norman in there and you get all those types of characters and it feels like something that could, for me, you know, who I'm thinking about, am I going to watch golf this weekend or am I going to watch football this weekend? I would pick golf if that was an option. I've, I've never loved the idea only because I feel like it is in a sense celebrating like the division in the game in a way and pitting, it's not pitting against country lines. It's not pitting, it's pitting against live versus the PGA tour and kind of why I like the solution of the getting rid of the official world golf rankings and building entries into majors based on how those respective tours do in the major championships is that it actually does foster that competition between the tours. And you get to see head to head at the majors, like who finishes, it could be based on who makes the cut and then who finishes in the top 10, how they allocate spots for the next one without, I've just always had a little bit of an aversion to the team competition. It would do huge ratings, but I, I don't know. It feels a little toxic to me to put to pit the live guys against the PGA Tour guys right now after actively suing one another, like maybe long term, but it feels a little bit toxic right now. Do you, Andy, do you agree with that? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that the, there needs to be like a period of time like there needs uh, what golf needs more than anything at this point is a resolution. It is. This continued strain, this continued division is just like whether it's divided, they're just it need the fighting has to stop because what's happening. And I think like I've I've thought about this a lot this weekend is like this could be the greatest thing ever for the for just golf. I think professional golf in general, um, you know, it, it provides an entry point for people to get into into golf but at the same time i think professional golf often overshadows how great just golf is and why people actually play golf like too many too too often are microphones in front of professional golfers making you know comments and decisions for the overall sport of golf right and we saw that this week with the rollback and 
just how the whole rollback has gone because of the professional golfers, you know, interests and in, in different things, how it became a universal rollback versus just a, you know, wood bat metal bat thing like it is in, in baseball. But anyways, you know, I think like I've thought about this a lot is like, this could be the greatest thing that ever happens for golf is that, Oh, guess what? Nobody cares about professional golf anymore because Golf is an amazing recreational activity that like my bearing of how I feel when I go play golf has nothing to do with with John Rahm. It has nothing to do with Tony Finau getting 80 million dollars when I'm out on a golf course. I have there's no there's no connection there. There's none whatsoever. So I I can believe that pro golf provides an entry point into the game. But maybe, just maybe, they aren't the best example setters for the game as they've been put into this place. But overarching, if professional golf wants to have any existence in 20 years of relevance, this has to stop. It cannot be what's going on right now. It has to be some sort of unified. Like they, it, The game is not big enough for... There's not 100 million people that watch golf that we're splitting up and it's like, okay, like you take 70, I'll take 30 million. This is, we're talking about a million people and there's going to be nothing that can support the amounts of money. You know, this greed has overwhelmed the professional game and they aren't looking at like what they're doing is effectively taking money from the future of the game and putting in their pockets now. And it is a short-sighted thing. We are seeing like, I mean, I just think about like, look at the direction of of professional golf right now. Look where it is compared to what a unified league like the NBA just did with their in-season tournament, where they rolled out something new that added value that that is going to create more interest. They're going to sell. They they tried out a new format. It kicked ass in year one. Um, LeBron took it really seriously. Their top player saw the value in in dedicating towards this. He talked about how important this in-season tournament was from day one of it. And because he knows deep down, if this thing succeeds, it's going to sell a huge sponsorship to it. And that money's going to come back to me. Like these golfers don't understand Rom, what Rom, Rom's decision was the most selfish of all of them. He went, he skirted all the, all the negativity that all the guys that went early went, got because like, the PGA Tour normalized it. He's, he's just stealing money effectively from other players because he's he's making the overall sport weaker. And when the overall spe- sport is weaker, then there's less money to be had. Andy, Andy, I know, I love that was the, a big the, rant. No, no, no. But I, I think to the, to, I think there's a point there to be had, too, about golf. And I'll go back to this past year. You talk about LeBron and him buying into the in-season tournament, right? The way he talked about it, the way he complimented their commissioner about the idea and the creativity. He called him a genius in a press conference, right? I mean, this is your star. the Probably the most, most recognizable athlete in the world is praising the guy in charge of this new idea that played out and went well and the Lakers win. I mean, it was you couldn't have drawn up a better situation for this, you know, in-season tournament than you got this year, right? By the way, I love the courts. I know people bagged on them a lot. Big fan of the courts. I think they're great. Same. And they, when you turned the game on, you knew it was a tournament game versus another game. I mean, that's the whole point of it. But think about this past year. Listen, I love Rory McIlroy 
as much as anybody else in media. I'm a big fan. But how many months into signature events did Rory pull out of one? Four months? Three months? I mean, you've got to buy into all you're trying to do for your sport if you're the quote-unquote face of it. And this grows goes across the board. LeBron bought in. He played great basketball. He exceeded his minute count by, I think, six or seven minutes per game during this run up to Vegas, right? Playing a ton of basketball and playing elite-level basketball. And last year, the PGA Tour did what it had to do. Let's get everybody together in these events. They're all playing at the same time. That's the best chance to get the most eyeballs on the sport. And three or four months into it, Rory pulls out of an event after the Masters. That was a signature event. Like, you've got to buy into this if you're a player and you're one of the faces of the tour. And I feel like not everybody's totally bought into everything that's going on in golf because they don't. They understand that, A, maybe it's not sustainable, or B, they know it's just a Band-Aid on what it's going to look like in two or three years from now. Only, only thing I'd even, this isn't even pushback, but I think distilling it all down, the product needs to be competitive golf. Competition has to be at the forefront. And I, I would argue that the reason the in-season tournament worked in the NBA, the colored courts, all that was cool. But fundamentally, it brought more competition into the NBA. There were Tuesday night, Friday night games that had an elevated level of meaning competitive basketball was the product. And Adam Silver has said that, that this season was going to be the return to basketball. Like it's time to get back to competitive basketball. And so with, sure, I agree with you, Shane, that it'd be great if all the superstars bought into the new model, but the model needs to be geared towards competition. And having signature events that don't have cuts in them is not a step towards competition. Like I think the tour that's going to win is going to be the tour that elevates competition to the max because competitive golf is very compelling and that product. But will you gotta sell. be. But you gotta be there to be competitive, Joseph. And like, if you're not even, like, I would com- I would compare the heritage to the December portion of the NBA season. Right? It's it's after a big event. It's kind of sleepy. It's pretty chill. It's relatively relaxed. But you gotta be there to be competitive. And if you're not going to show up to the event, if LeBron just says I'm gonna I'm gonna sit out the quarterfinal games, then the entire in-season tournament falls apart. I mean, I get what you're saying. To be be fair, to be fair, you know, this, this is more about uh, showing up. I think that there was like a legitimate reason why he wasn't at heritage. For sure. I I, I understand that. But at the same, at the same, at the same time, maybe you don't skip, you know, Kapalua, like maybe you leave like where you have an open, like you're going to restructure this. You're going to have, I'm just going to keep this in my back pocket in case something in my life comes up and I know I need a week off. Right. And I know that the, everybody plans, but like, I do think like what, what Joseph is saying, there needs to be a, a, and I don't know. I, I watched, I, I, I watched the interviews for the live promotions event. <laughs> Honestly, it's cool. Like, like those guys just changed their life. They know they could be the worst player on that tour and they're going to make $2 million. Right. Like that actually like felt like it actually meant something to the, to those, those guys much like, like, I mean, just think about like when you get those moments, you get real moments like Monday qualifier. I can't think of anything that's more competitive than a Monday qualifier. When people qualify in for a Monday, like or to an event on a Monday, it's like, Oh, I just beat. 90 other guys for four spots. Super competitive. Q School delivers this. You know what's super competitive? Q School. You know what delivers player golfers in tears? The Ryder Cup. It has nothing to do with money. It's all competitive. It's like 
this is the thing with the instant the thing that was the secret you know there's obviously five hundred thousand dollars which for like a rookie a guy on a second who is a second round pick who's a rookie you know or a second year player like five hundred thousand dollars is a really big deal like that's a huge deal for a guy making a million dollars a year and but like the other aspect of this is like the nature and this is the same thing is true about the very best golfers in the world they are insanely competitive nobody likes to lose if you're one of the world the best in the world at anything i believe that you are insanely competitive also those traits go hand in hand competitive and excelling at one skill go like you you, you just can't be a top 20 player in the world unless you're competitive like it, you just won't work hard enough right so the idea of competition like the best very best the majors it's all competition it's not about the money like you could take the money away and it would still be it, so golf thrives when there's competition it doesn't and what's what's been the problem with live the last two years it just doesn't feel competitive whatsoever I, I, What's the problem with with um what was the problem with the WGCs, the no cut WGCs? They were sleepy. There was just they just did not feel competitive. What's the problem with the having a signature event back to the heritage the week after the major? It just it doesn't feel like anything. You know, it's like, what are we doing? That that's the only area I'd quibble with you, Shane, on getting Rory to buy in. LeBron doesn't skip games because he wants to play in the in-season tournament, and if he doesn't participate. They may not end up playing in the in-season tournament quarterfinals, finals. We The PJ Tour hasn't given Rory a reason to feel like he can't skip a signature event, legitimate reason or not. Like He feels like he can accomplish all of his goals within the sport, which at this point are probably just winning major championships, success in the Ryder Cups. He can do all that with skipping signature events. The PJ Tour hasn't given him a reason. It's not competitive. So again, I, not to sound like a, a broken record. I mean, I think the solution here is really obvious. I think it's a tour championship that's like four to eight guys, maybe 12. And if you're only giving points out at the signature events, if you skip one, you're probably not going to qualify for the tour championship. Like they need to actually lay an infrastructure that facilitates competition. You can't rely on players saying, hey, will you buy into this? Because if you don't show up, it doesn't feel competitive. You need to create a natural incentive for them to feel competition. Does that exist though in golf? Like, does that exist well, in golf outside of the majors? That that's the thing I keep going back to. They need to build it. This is the and this is where like at this point, this is where the PGA Tour has to go because they are going to raise a influx of cap cash, whether it comes from the the public investment fund, whether it comes from the private equity side of things. But that cash, it can't go to reinforcing the current model. The cash has to go to, all right, we have this opportunity to completely blow this up and build something way better. And we have the money to do it because we can say, hey, you know what, sponsors, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. We, we've loved your, your, your support, but this is the direction we're going. Do you want to be on board with this direction? And and it's okay if you say, "Hey, we don't want to be a part of this right now, but we are like we want to see how it goes, and then we're going to jump on." Like that's the convert. That's how it needs to shift with this money. And and the the thing that's alarming to me is hearing Tiger. Honestly, like I think Tiger 
I don't know if he's been like a, a a very positive asset to the to the policy board. And I know it's like sacrilegious to criticize anything Tiger, but you listen to him at the hero and you listen to him talking about like, hey, like we're just trying to like maintain like we're trying to keep the feel of the PGA tour. We're trying to, you know, like embrace the history and keep like the legacy of the tour intact with this deal. Like we're looking for partner. It's like, no, that, that that's not what should be going on. I don't think like what should be going on is we should be looking at partners that we can turn this, this tour that is a, you know, it's a nice sport. It's a nice niche sport, but like, how do we find partners in a format that make it bigger than it is now? And I and that's what my worry is with Cantlay and Tiger and and the, and the direction of the tour is it seems like they are attempting to get money that allows them to stay the same. And that is the wrong the wrong direction and Live has shown that it's the wrong direction by their ability to come in and just tear the sport in two. And I guess the only thing on that, Andy, that I would add is I think the reason the status quo doesn't work, it all comes back to the same thing, is because it's not the most competitive version of the sport, right? The players at the PJ Tour, it's a member-run organization. They've been incentivized to create as many playing opportunities as possible and to stay on the tour as long as possible. They have not been incentivized to create the most competitive version of the sport. So it all reinforces itself. Shane, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, who's the hungriest people in the world, right? I mean, the people haven't been fed. I mean, these guys are getting fed all the time. I mean, they're getting fed all sorts of different ways. They're getting fed with pip things that are incredibly. I mean, it's ridiculous to put out that much money to people for no other reason than that you're popular, right? But I mean, you've got to make these guys hungry. And outside of, I think the FedEx Cup in its you know infancy made guys hungry. There was real financial opportunity with the FedEx Cup that if you got into the tour championship at the end and had a chance to win there, it was literally life-changing money. And outside of the major championships, money was something that incentivized guys. I'm not sure that this structure incentivizes anybody financially because if you're popular, you're getting paid either way, right? So, I mean, I think to your point, Joseph, it's if you're going to throw the model out the window and restart, don't pay people a ton of money unless they actually did something throughout the season. That's how you can get people to be fired up and buy in to the plan. Did you see what LeBron said after they won? He goes, guys were coming up to me asking when we were getting the money in our accounts. Like they're asking LeBron that 10 minutes after they won the championship. These pro golfers, these top 10, top 20 guys in the world right now are getting so much money in all different areas that think that trying to incentivize them at the back end with money that's not $300 million John Rahm money is just silly. Like they're not going to care. It's like what you said about Rory and the Heritage. I mean, you've got to make it make sense for something in their lives or something in their legacy. And right now, it's not either one of those things. And you can't stipulate it either. You can't mandate participation. Yep. You want to? Yeah. You, if you're not going to play, that's fine. But you're not going. You got no chance at this at the end of the year. Exactly. You know, it, it it definitely feels like whether or not this is you know true, but like it definitely feels like the this overall sport you know, of men's professional golf took a big kind of uh, jab, whether, 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 no matter who you're a fan of, the overall sport lost value this week with the John Rahm news.
All right, let's take a quick break to talk about our partner, Club Champion. So Club Champion has an awesome holiday promotion. Uh, if you use the promo code FRIDEG, you will be uh, entitled to a $100 full bag fitting. That's about 75% off or a $50 uh, fitting of any other uh, you know, type of club, whether it's a hybrid, wedges, irons, driver, uh, with the purchase of a club. So if you purchase a club, you get a great deal on your fitting. Uh, this is a, you know, just for those that aren't aware, Club Champion is the best, the premier fitter across the country. You go to a Club Champion location, you're getting a PGA Tour level fitting. You're getting a level of fitting that a tour pro would go through. You get to try all different types of shafts, actually probably better than most tour pros who have an equipment deal because you get to try different heads, different shafts, figure out exactly what the best setup is for you. So this offer is going to run until Christmas Eve. Um, and you, the one caveat with this is that you need to get the fitting done by uh, January 31st of 2024. So booked by Christmas Eve, uh, fitting done by January 31st of 2024. Uh, this is where I've gone forever to get my my uh, fittings done. They do an awesome job. So you can get a $100 full bag fitting. This is the best uh, offer they've ever done with the purchase of a club or a $50 fitting of any other type. So go get dialed in. Uh, it's really helped me shoot a lot lower scores. I've been super consistent since I got my clubs from them. And uh, I highly recommend this if you're looking for some game improvement. Getting fit is probably the best way to to get your clubs, uh, get new clubs. Get it, get it right. Get the right shafts. Get the right setup. Get the right heads. Don't don't purchase them because you think they look cool. Get the, get the clubs that fit you best. Uh, thanks to Club Champion. And we will now go back to Joseph and Shane. Let's uh let's move gears here. Any anybody want to talk about rollback while we're here? Thoughts on rollback? <laughs> and we can relate it back to the professional game. Um, you know, it was the other big news. Somehow, it, like the only way that this uh, gets, I don't know, I don't know what story was one A and what story was one B. But it, it, any other week of any other year, um, these are these are stories of of the year, and they seem to be. Um, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, duking it out for story of December here. Well, I, I wrote about it on the newsletter. I mean, we yell about stuff a lot, and this is just not something I'm going to yell about right now, just because it's so far in the future that there's so many more important things right now in terms of the state of golf to care about. I guarantee, Andy, you know this better than anybody, this is going to go through 50 iterations before we get to, what is it, 2030 or whatever the year is that it would be, you know, instated. I mean, I just feel like right now, this we knew this was coming. It finally came. It finally was announced, and we are however many years away from it actually being a thing. The thing that I think is like underreported that I need, I need this, like I need air. Is like the <laughs> um, they've been talking. They they <laughs> that's getting buried. Is a third of the golf balls on the market right now are conforming. How is so, that possible? Can I can I get a list of the third of the golf balls that are conforming? <laughs> and it's like, so that's telling me if the golf ball, like I'm not going to, I'm sure there's certain golf balls, but roughly a third of the population is already playing the ball. I'm sure it's not an apples to apples, like exact comparison, but 20 to 40% 
of the golfing populations already doing this, and we're ye- and, and people are saying they're going to quit the game. The the people saying that they're they're going to quit the game. I, I think there's a level of immaturity that is. Uh, don't want to talk down to some of those people, but it just it feels disingenuous. I guess I don't have. I've written a lot about it. I don't have a whole lot to add. I think it promotes a more competitive version of the sport at the professional level, and that's what we should aspire to. And the, I think it's another example of self-interested professional golfers and equipment manufacturers holding the sport hostage and keeping sensible solutions from being implemented, convincing people they should be mad about something that's actually for the benefit of the sport. So uh, that's about all I have to say on that. Joseph, if you went to, let's let's say I got, 5,000 golfers across the board, handicap-wise, skill set, passion for the sport, interest, private club, public golfer, whatever, and you gave them a rollback ball tomorrow, of those 5,000 people, how many do you think would notice? Five? Ten people? I, see, I know? actually think people they, would didn't notice tell them, You didn't tell them. I think people would notice a little bit on some yardages they're hitting the ball, but... They didn't, nobody I knows how far think- they hit the ball anyway. I mean, I've caddied. They got that's, no clue. They're like, Eddie, that's Eddie, tough. I think we all caddied. I would agree. That's I fair. would always, I, I started when I was a caddy. Like if I was caddying for a 15 or 20 handicap, honestly, I would add 10 yards to yardage. I'd lie all the time. I would lie all <laughs> the time. It, I rarely gave an actual number to anybody. Yeah, because people don't know how far they hit it. This, this, you guys are really indicting yourselves, but the I, that's good caddying that's not it's not indicting yourself that's that is just joseph if they're flying if they're flying every green i'm gonna adjust they were not flying every green i can <laughs> yeah, promise you that that's the thing they might fly one in 18 and they'd be like what yeah. happened there and not me being like oh my god they just flushed it <laughs> didn't realize you guys were participants in the over club challenge but Oh yeah! It wasn't. Oh, it's yeah. not the overclub challenge. It's just I don't want to rake twenty five bunkers today. I'm gonna to get this guy to hit uh, this guy or or a gal to hit more greens. It wasn't that. It was just like I I actually know I have a better idea of how far this ball is going off the club face than the guy that that is playing. Fair fair enough. Valid sidebar. But but to, back to your question, Shane. Maybe people would notice at the same time. Ninety five percent of people I've ever been with if I find a ball in the woods and ask them if they want it they play it and if they think those golf balls are flying the absolute maximum (laughs) distance they've never said well does it if a robot hit this ball at 125 miles an hour how far would it fly because I'm I'm trying to figure out how much fun the rest of the round is going to be that has never been the reaction so I think it's been a massive overreaction from people that have a lot of them have agendas and it's not going to, the sky's well, not falling. The thing that I, I brought this up on the shotgun start that I think's like a, another good point is like, if, uh, you know, if Shane or you lived in Denver, right? Yeah. And, and I said, Hey, you want to come, come visit me. We're going to play the Olympic club, which the Olympic club is at sea level and it's, it's cold and misty. It, you lose. Like I, I hit a seven iron 10 yards shorter at the Olympic club that I hit in where I live, where there's less fog and less like it's warmer, right? I hit the ball shorter there. So if I said to you, you're in Denver, you're, you're playing golf at a mile high. Like imagine if you said, no, I'm not coming. The ball doesn't go far enough there. I'm not going to have fun. Like what? The, the other part that, say that the other part that's ridiculous is that there's existing regulation now. 
So why don't why don't you have a problem with the regulation that exists now? They could make balls that have a little TNT in them that explode and goes another 80 yards closer to the hole and makes it easier. Like we could have ridiculous equipment where it goes 500 yards and you could have cart paths instead of fairways. Like, why are you not upset with the regulation now? Why is it this new one? It doesn't make any sense. Um, to me, the most interesting thing in that whole the whole announcement was the uh, the potential for them looking at forgiving uh, forgiveness of of driver heads and. This is where the model local rule kind of bummed me out. Not get not getting really like the I think like a lot of a lot of the USGA's um goals for this is just getting golf the golf world used to we are going to change the way the game's governed throughout time for the best interest of the game, right? Like that that just general philosophy. Um and to me the driver head thing is you know less forgiving driver heads is effectively they're they want to look into this and see you know can we have less forgiving driver heads and to me if you had an mlr ball if you had like the the what that was originally planned a bifurcated ball it would make so much sense to immediately enact like hey you're a tour pro you're playing at the highest levels of the game you use a 250 cc driver head right like the max head is that because Guess what? Guys miss. And all the big misses come with three woods now. And none of the misses make you. It's like almost impossible for an elite player to hit a really bad shot with a driver because the head's so big and it's so forgiving at this point. Andy, I, I lived through the groove thing and people freaked out. We lived through the anchored putter thing and people freaked out. And you know what, man? Everybody's good. They're using the wedges with the appropriate grooves and they're not anchoring with their putters and they're still playing golf. I go back to like COVID golfers. You know, everybody always likes to point to to COVID and the pandemic boom in golf. Imagine if you're a golfer that took the sport up in 2020 and you got into the professional game and this is all the stuff you're having to consume all the time. Are you sticking around? You know, I mean, are you really going to like continue to put your time and effort into the sport that seems like it's pounding you with all this news that doesn't necessarily feel positive or interesting or exciting. It just feels like all this stuff is running downhill for these people that are just new to the sport. I mean, we're in, like we're invested, we're stuck. You know, we got the bug decades ago, but if you're a new golf person and like every news breaking is just everybody yelling from two sides of, of the rope, it just seems like it'd be a lot of heavy stuff for somebody new to the game. Be like, do I want to just go watch? I'll just go watch basketball, man. Can I can I play just devil's advocate for a second? I mean, I agree. Of with course. You, but just to play the other side, I think a lot of people who golf don't see any of this news. Okay. And uh, I think there's probably a really large... I was talking to somebody who's a casual golfer recently, and he's buying some Pro V1s. And I was like, yeah, you better get them while they're hot now. Like five years from now, they're going to be rolled back. And he had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> Didn't know John Rahm. This is going to be signing with Liv. Like, is there an argument that we are so entrenched in this and people who are on golf Twitter aren't as important to the game overall as we might think, or yes, at least don't is. represent the answer BS to both of those. Yes. And so maybe there's all these news cycles that people are wrapped up in. It's, it's actually not pertinent to that large of a percentage of the golfing population. I mean, is there an argument to be made on that? I well, I would agree. I've I've a I've a college buddies group text. They're they're very casual golfers. Very casual, you know. 
And they're like, what's what's going on? What's going on with this ball thing? I'm like, you guys, you might lose three yards off the tee. And they're all like, okay. Sweet. <laughs> they're like, yes, none of them were, were at all upset. I was hey, like, Andy, you, you might lose. Group, you reference this group chat a lot, and you mentioned that it's not golf people. What is the main topic on this group chat? Is it it's, it's, Illinois it's basketball? Golf. So, no, it's, it's, it's college college friends that that have a casual interest in golf. So like okay. it the main the main point of the chat is like do you want to play Saturday? This is like Chicago, a lot of okay. They, okay. everybody at one point was in Chicago. It was like do you want to play on Saturday morning? I it's like this happens once a month, right? You know, or what's they they talk about the majors. You know, they you know, I I'm, I'm just I enjoy it because it's like my lens into like it's my like I, I have golf Twitter discourse here and then I see what they're talking about over here. You know, they sent out the the ROM live thing like, you know, somebody they were talking about that, you know, but they were like still not going to watch live, you know, was their their general uh, thought thoughts around that. But the the rollback was great. Like, can you explain to me they they always ask me to explain things like. You know, when when Justin Thomas was like coming down on Sunday at Wyndham, they were like, what's going on? I was like, well, you know, they just recently changed this to top 70 and no big player has ever really missed the FedEx Cup playoffs that's played a full season. They're like, oh, that's cool. And they were all interested. You you know, you, we go back, we can tie this back to competition. That was that was legitimately a, a extremely fascinating Sunday afternoon. And totally. why? Why was it? Was it because they're playing for $10 million? Was that why? Um, Random thought, like just a random anecdotal evidence on that. Mr. Beast, huge YouTube, creates these massive uh, YouTube videos. Biggest, that get, biggest YouTube star in the world, right? Huge. I heard yeah. him interviewed once and they asked him, he does a lot of like money giveaways to people. And they asked him, what is like the optimal amount to give out to somebody to where it gets a lot of views? It's like a life-changing amount of money, but you're, you can't give out a billion dollars. And what he said was, once you get over $100,000 to the general public, it all starts to feel the same. That they can't really... It, once you're over 100000 it all starts to blend together. So to the... I actually think that's a unique way of thinking about why people don't care about players and how much money it is if it's a three and a half million dollar FedEx cup (laughs) yeah exactly it's three and a half million if it's 2.7 like once it gets over a certain threshold Mr. B says that's a hundred thousand it all kind of starts to blend together for people all right Joseph to start living his life like that by the way I just want you to start every decision you make you just got to go what would Mr. Beast do that's what I'm going to (laughs) do I don't know enough about Mr. Beast for that to mean anything, but cure people, cure people. Hey, you know what? I, I appreciate Mr. Beast about very short videos. They're like 16, 17, 18 minutes on YouTube. Perfect consumable amount of time. What does that mean for this podcast episode? It's going, well, going a little heavy. Do this. I, I gotta, I gotta say, you know, yesterday, I, yesterday I went for a long run run and it was like, you know, I, I really, en- it was like seven or eight, seven miles. In the mountain, running the too, whole time, yeah. yeah. No walking. So, what is this no pace? Walk. What are, what's our pace looking like, Andy? Are we like eight thirty a mile, or what? I I used to be like a sub eight, but I don't okay. think I am. I don't time myself anymore. And I'm running oh. in. I'm trail running, so I'm like yeah, yeah. going a lot of up and down. You know, um, seven and eight is impressive. Seven eight means you start to start getting the text to like, do you want to do a half marathon soon? 
Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, I think I could do a half marathon, but you know, the uh the I was thinking I've I've been kicking around the idea of a marathon, but you know, at the same time, I don't I just don't think my my travel schedule conduce is conducive to tr- marathon training. That's the problem. That's like as I've looked at I've laid it out, I looked at it, it's like, okay, I need to run you know, what is it like, you know, you got to start running like 30 miles a week or something. It's so 40. much. It's yeah. so it's like, much what, a week. If I'm, if I'm at the U S open, what am I going to do? Like, what am I'm going to, I'm going to try and get my run in before I go and, and walk around there all day, you know, and then what am I going to, or you, you could know, just be really uh, awkward and run at the U S open. Like what if you just ran between shots, like full sprinted? Well, you'd be like, all right, I gotta know, go now, guys. You'd be like Rob now, Lowe and uh parks and rec. Well, now that the media media, they took away the locker room access. I could have just brought my running gear, ran around the golf course, so weird. hopped into the locker room, you know, you waved hi to the players. Yeah. Waved hi to the players. Take my shower. I got to get cleaned up. I got to go ask Rom some questions. I'm a little yeah. sweaty. Here. Yeah, exactly. Pretty, so I feel like good. they don't even have treadmills in the player fitness area, right? I'm sure you're going to run. There's no you're run a marathon, right? I don't know. These guys are trying to talk me into running the New York one next year. Um, by the way, for anybody listening to this, that they're new age travelers, the best advice I can give you, if you're a person that has to travel for work, start running. Don't do hotel gyms, most depressing place in the world. Get some running well, shoes. Get into running. You can go outside. You can run in some town you've never been in. Every town has running tra- trails. There's a couple good running apps that'll like actually make a run for you, but I started the doing problem, this years though, ago is where the hotels are is the worst place to run. It's fine. You got a rental car. You can get a, you go drive Sometimes. somewhere and go find a trailhead. Sometimes. What are you doing? You bum, you bumming rides to country club, Andy. Come on. You got a car. Maybe you're running to the country tra- club. For I'm your just girl looking. Else. I'm just looking out for everybody here. Shane, <laughs> trying to, okay. trying to look out okay. for everybody. Joseph, are you a runner? I'm not a runner. I, I do. I mean, think you're in though, shape. What do you do? Marathon. What do you do? I, work, I mean, I work shape? out. I work out. Yeah, I don't do no cardio. A lot of running, I'll, no cardio. I'll no, do some. Car- no I'll, yeah, I'll do some cardio, but I'm not a huge runner. I do think Andy doing a marathon would be tremendous content. There could be some if he's going slow. He's a pace car. Start bringing the JB Holmes jokes in. I do think there's a lot of pace of play content to be had. So I think from a business perspective, Andy, it's a great you almost idea. have to you, do you, the marathon. Joseph, you know those NBA fans that'll like wear every jersey of the player and they'll like take them off, you know, like every team they've played for. What if Andy just had every shirt that would be a joke of something about running that he could like rip could, off every two or three miles? What if what if I did every title, answer, every title sponsor of the PGA Tour, you know, and I <laughs> yes. just, each mile I switch the shirt. <laughs> Wells Fargo, and you then, don't quite complete the mile. <laughs> <laughs> At the end, we have chain smokers playing as you finish the marathon. It can be a lot of fun. It'll be fun. It's uh, yeah, we'll see. I I saw that there's the the Los Angeles marathon's a hundred days away. I could do that. You know, maybe that's the it's one. Tight man. Yeah, I mean that's right. Or yeah, I mean do it right before the Masters, and you'll feel great. Yep. The nice thing. The nice thing is I live in a locale that I can run year round. You know what? The other thing I've I this is a <laughs> this is a, a thing that running. This is another benefit of running. So it was really rainy here last year. And I, you know, I think this is great advice for anybody. Um, People allow rain to dissuade them from doing things. We've talked about this, Andy, with the running. I'm with you on this. So 
like I, I, you know, like it would rain like a week straight and I just, it, you know, and I say like rain, it, it just like rains for like a week straight. And I just, you know, at, at some point last winter, I just decided that rain wasn't going to stop me. And like, it's been, you know, we, <laughs> I was at, so the Ryder cup this year, I was in New York and like, you're doing these crazy hours. It's like two to 2 AM to like, you know, 2 PM effectively every day. And one day it rained like crazy and I got done and it's like, God, I haven't left this house all day. I just went for a walk out in the rain. I get back and Brenda's like, you're, you're insane. And it's like, <laughs> what, what am I insane? I got wet. I have to take a shower either way before we go to dinner. And like, I got wet. I had a rain jacket on and it's like, what's the big deal? Like it had, it was delightful. Nobody was out. I was walked around. I got rained on, but it's like, it doesn't matter. Why is everybody afraid to get wet? It's a great place to end it. <laughs> that could be an amazing, that could be an amazing open-ended question. Just post yeah. from the shotgun start. Why is everyone afraid to get wet? There yeah. you go. Starts a whole nother All episode. Right. This, hey, Andy, by the way, in golf too, if you play golf in the rain, the moment you just accept the fact you're going to be wet makes the entire experience way better. You know, when you got yeah. the umbrella and you're trying to like trade, tra- take stuff on and off. And also, tour guys have stopped wearing rain gear, which I find really weird. Have you noticed that they just wear sweaters yeah. now? Super mm-hmm. strange. I don't get that. I think I think the the rain gloves are the single most important thing. Only you thing have you to need. Have. Only thing you gotta have. Well, no, you need your zero restriction jackets too. Come on, Shane. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You're right. <laughs> you need your you need your full zero restriction rain gear. Hey, if before you use we go, the code TFE thirty, you get thirty percent <laughs> off. There's a free ad right there. Hey, before we go, can I ask you guys both a question to go back to what we initially talked about? Yeah. Will you do you believe you guys will consume more live golf this year than previous than last year? In terms of you and watching on TV or the app or whatever? Uh yes, because we are starting with an incredibly low baseline, but it's not gonna be uh I'm excited for the first round. It might be look at the leaderboard and I feel like I have yeah. some responsibility to be following it and if the leaderboard's exciting, maybe tune in, but no, there's nothing I'm looking at on the calendar and, and actually excited for, but there are fewer PGA tour events that I think have commercial appeal. So, uh, kind of goes back to the same point. <laughs> I, uh, well, I saw that Kieran, uh, Vincent, you know, the, the best brothers in golf, the Vincents are now both live players. So yeah, absolutely. I'm going to watch more. I would, I would say, I think like general baseline, I think they have, I mean, last offseason was a complete disaster. I think Greg Norman said he was going to sign eight of the top 20 players and they signed like Sebastian Munoz, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so I think they're they're like their their interest entering the the year is way better than last year. So that alone is going to raise my baseline. But it's hard. I mean, like, yeah, John Rahm's there now. It's like John Rahm, Brooks, Bryson, like that kind of like a. You know, those are three interesting. I like like watching those three guys play golf. I'm I'm generally interested. They're unique, you know, players, right? What's your dream? I really like watching Cam Smith. Yeah, back nine live two golfers going at it. What's your dream matchup? I mean, it's got to be Phil and Brooks Rom. I think it's Brooks Rom for me. No Bryson. I think Bryson might be one of the two for me. No Bryson for me. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm. I mean. It's fine. I mean, like Bryson, again, I mean, I'm with Andy. Like Bryson makes golf interesting, and I 
I'm, I'm most of the time interested when he's involved, but I'm, if I was to our kind of initial point about checking the PJ tour app, if I was on the live leaderboard on Saturday and it was Brooks at 12 under Ram at 12 under, and then third place was six under and you threw Bryson in for Rom, I'm probably going to watch the first one over the second one. I mean, Bryson Rom would be my ideal. Let's flip this question. What's the PGA tours now? It's got to be it, Rory Spieth, it, I think. Was it Rom Rory before? Do you think before this it was Rom Rory? It's a good question. Tiger's God, out of. I mean, let's just say Tiger's out of it, right? I don't think Scheffler's uh, interesting enough. Like, just you know, is it, he, I, he, I still think it was Rory for, Spieth last year. Like, I, I just think Rory and Spieth, you know, they just who they were and who they have been, and how important they've been to golf. And golf fans seem to gravitate towards them. I just feel like if Rory Spieth are battling it out in any sort of golf tournament, people are going to probably turn it on if they weren't going to watch it otherwise. I mean, I just think it's been Rory Spieth for years. Real real question for you. Like signature event, I think there's a legitimate question around what a signature event win means for the legacy of somebody like Rory or Jordan Spieth. Would you rather yep. watch one of those two battle each other or Ludwig Obert? Like, What is actually more interesting as a hardcore golf fan? I still think it's Rory Spieth. At, at RBC yep. Heritage? At yeah. Travelers, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's oh, it's Steph Travelers. playing LeBron. Like these are two different people. Yeah. Like they play golf totally different. Yet they've been these. I mean, it's hard to say Spieth has been a fixture because he's been so up and down over the last four or five years. But I just think commercial appeal, name, the fact that we haven't really got much Rory Spieth in our lives. I mean, outside of that third round at the Masters when Rory shot seventy seven and didn't make a birdie, how many times have they really been in the hunt together? contending for a big event it hasn't been a lot it feels very much like what we got with phil and tiger over the years where as much as we wanted them to be in the mix together they rarely if ever were actually in the mix together so i just think in terms of of the names and the fact that it's happened so little in professional golf i'm still going to go back to those two just because you know it's it really it's kind of wool and water right i mean one guy hits it a million miles it hits down the middle of the fairway every time one guy hits it 40 yards off the map and hits it on the green and makes a 30 footer. Like that's, what's so interesting about watching Steph's team play and LeBron's team play is they're superstars for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think Start. that's a great point. I contrast and in, in playing style to me is always going to be the thing. That's the most fascinating aspect. It's, it's why it's why Jordan Spieth's so fun to watch at Augusta, right? Is because he shoots these rounds of like 67 and you're like, wait a sec, what? Like he was in places I'd be in, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's what's so, you know, and, and that's, what's so amazing about it. And then you can, you contrast that with like, you know, John Rahm at Augusta, it's, it's a completely different style in which they get to similar results. Right. So, and I think that's the, the goal, like to tie this all together. I think that's the goal of the roll, the rollback and, and putting more stringent equipment standards into place is, is potentially recapturing um, more styles of play and allowing more styles of play to really thrive. All right, let's end it there. This was a, this was a fun chat. Hopefully, you know, we got, uh, we got more positive times coming for professional golf, but hopefully the last uh, 20 minutes of this chat were at least positive. So, uh, Joseph, I mean, uh, running, what do you got? For goodness sakes. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Joseph, yeah, uh, everybody should check out your, your newsletter, finding the edge. Um, on, it's a sub stack. And then obviously you've, you're writing on Friday golf. 
Uh, Shane, you're calling Q School coming up. Talk about yeah, this weekend. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be rocking and rolling. Me and Nitty's uh, um, from Jacks, so uh, excited to get down there and do a little Q School over the weekend. Tune in. Um, we'll be on Golf Channel. I think it's four or five hours of coverage, so it's it's pretty happy. PGA Tour cards on the line for the first on time the in what almost a decade. Yep, yep, yep. So you got a chance. It was funny. I, a lot of those guys at the end of the Corn Ferry Tour season that were like floating around the number. Um, a lot of them said you'd see like quotes on Saturday night where they'd go, "I just got to finish top five either either here or you know in December." And so they, I like that mentality from some of the players that either did get their card or didn't. And then obviously we get to follow Shad Tootin's story, see what he can do after the whole, guess, man. you know, rules kerfuffle situation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, on his way to close out KFT. So rooting for Shad, by the way, because that would be a pretty cool story if he could get his card this way. Yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, talk soon, and we'll be back later this week with another episode. All right. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt. Hey, quick reminder. Uh, the theme of these, the the reminders, advertisements in this pod have been holiday gift giving. Great holiday gift is to give somebody Club TFE. If you're a member and you like it, uh, you know, give it to somebody else that you might you know, think like it if, they, if that person needs a gift. Um, if you're thinking, you know, if you're on the fence, I, I just think it's been something we've really committed to this year we've put a lot of effort into it and uh we're super excited about where it's going next year so if you're interested in joining club tfe it is 120 dollars for the year uh there is a gifting option on the website on the so go to the slash membership and you can find all the information there and you it gives you the option to send it as a gift so thank you to all that have joined and supported us uh, this year and uh, looking forward to a couple more episodes here in 2023. It's crazy. We're at 2024. Thanks. And we'll be back soon.